Think about what you're stuck in. Think about what you're hurt in. Think about all that, non- man, I remember the nonsense of some of the stuff I did, and it's embarrassing. It was embarrassing back then. But that's not even me. I'm a new creation. This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your moment. Experience God's love and God's peace with us. See what God is doing for your neighbors at Crosspoint. Be blessed with today's broadcast. Here's what I know the Spirit of the Lord has told me. Uh, I know that either in here, and I think in here, I feel pretty confident, and somebody watching online that's going to watch it this week, God is trying to set them free. Now, that's my prayer every single week. But Sometimes the Spirit puts a burden on me, and I can't hardly move. I can't sleep. Because I know that the enemy is after some of you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise your holy name. God, whatever you're going to do in this place today, please do it. Whoever's in this house today that is desperate for you, God, I pray today that you break that stronghold off their life. God, those that are watching whether it be this week, next week, maybe it's three weeks from now. But they tuned into this for some reason. Something made them stop and watch this. And I believe with everything in me, it's because, God, you were trying to set them free, that enough's enough, and you're done with Satan having his way in their life. So, God, I say do it this morning. Amen. Luke 17, Jesus said to the disciples, it is impossible that offenses will not come. The title of my message is Stuck in Offense. And I know that's humorous, but when I I saw that this is a very serious message, but I saw that picture and I thought, man, that says it all. Because that cow is saying, look at this dummy. And that's what the enemy does to us. Look at this dummy. I just put a gate up there and they walk right through it. Now they're stuck. Stuck in offense. Stuck in offense. Stuck in offense. And I love saying, I've said it before because I think it's just, just the contrast of Jesus saying, I can do all things through Christ Who loves me? But then he says in this scripture, he's telling the disciples, he says, no, there's one thing you cannot do. You cannot get through this life without offense. It's not possible. Jesus said, they offended me, they will offend you. And this is the disciples. This is the the faithful, the believers, they, these are the ones that never miss church. I mean, these are the strong ones. These are the ones that's volunteering, that's picking up trash, that's teaching and, and evangelizing. I mean, these are the, the real, true Christ followers. And he's telling them, you're going to be offended. So if he's talking to those strong believers, what about the rest of us? I mean, if, if they can get offended... We're going to be offended. It's impossible for us to escape offense. And we're we're living in a time where so many people are stuck in offense. So many people are offended. I listened to a podcast earlier in, and I, they were talking about this atheist professor resigned his position at the University of Portland because he said there was such a culture of offense 
And even though he was an atheist, he believed in diversity of opinion and a diversity of views. He believed that this should be a place where we discuss things that, that we may or may not agree with. And he quit his job, his dream job, because of this culture. I mean, this should be the one place where we could talk about anything, debate it, discuss it, and walk away agreeing to not agree. It should be. But in colleges, and now it's leaked out further and further into our culture that if you don't agree with everybody, then they're offended. If you, if you don't agree with the ABC of sexual culture, then you're a homophobe. There's even, there's even the view that if you're born white, you're automatically you're a racist. Just born white, you're a racist. That's the opinion. That's the view. Our young adults and, and our teenagers are being taught to be offended. And I don't know if you guys have heard it, but I've heard more and more successful, successful college graduates, ones that now have careers or own their own business, and they're saying, don't send your kids to college. What a horrible thing to say. But they're saying, when you send your child to college, your child will not come back. Someone else completely different will come back. And it's, just, it's not just our, our liberal colleges. It's the University of Kentucky, Louisville. It's all of our campuses have a culture of offense. And I, I have a partial theory. Anybody want to hear it? I'm not saying it's biblical. Remember when the everybody gets a trophy ideology started about, what, 30 25, 20 years ago, everybody gets a trophy. Remember that? I was a runner, so I'll use me as an illustration in running. I remember being a runner. I was taught that if I didn't cross the finish line first, I wouldn't get a first-place trophy. And I really didn't like that because I wanted to be first. And my coach, these other runners I looked up to, even my own mommy told me the most radical thing they could ever tell a child. Train harder. Work harder. What? It's up to me? I was told work harder and you get rewarded. Put in the work. And I did. Because I wanted that little shiny round thing. And I wanted the trophy. And I, and I started, sure enough, getting third place. And then getting second place. And lo and behold, I got a few first place. But I put in the work. And it was hard work. And I earned those medals. But then suddenly, these teachers, and these coaches, and these parents decided that it was only fair if everybody got a trophy for showing up, everybody gets a trophy. And I don't know about you if you're my age or, or a little younger than me. And with that ideology, it created this healthy competition in me. And it, it leaked over into my career. And in my early 20s, I was one of the youngest business managers in the car business in about three counties here. I don't know everywhere else what they did, but I was in my early 20s a business manager making great money. It, all because of this, this discipline of working harder, you get rewarded. And we changed the ideology. We said, we said just everybody gets rewarded. Everybody gets something. Everybody gets to put something on the mantle. And we killed competition and we we created this culture of of i deserve this we created this culture of entitlement 
I mean, if I show up, I ought to get something. No, you shouldn't. I mean, I mean, what about school debates? Should everybody get a trophy? No. If you didn't study world history the night before, you shouldn't get a debate trophy. The ones that put in the work, the ones that put in the effort. And now we've got this culture that thinks they're owed something, and it's this culture that we're teaching our kids that if you disagree with me, I'm entitled to be right. If I told my dad in the 70s, when I was, I was born in 70, I told my dad in the 70s or in the 80s, Dad, I want to wear a dress. Yeah. My Baptist deacon teacher dad would have said the hello you say <laughs> better not ever catch you in a dress and I would have thought oh that's a boundary don't cross the boundary gotcha don't wear a dress gotcha long as I'm living under his roof don't wear a dress gotcha Wait till I get 18, I'm wearing dresses. No, when you get 18, you done forgot about it. We don't draw boundaries anymore. We celebrate open boundaries. And so young people destroy major cities in the last few years because there's no boundaries. It's, it's this culture of offense. But it's false offense. And I said all that to tell you I'm not talking about that today. I'm not talking about false offense where you're offended because somebody disagreed with you. That's false offense. Because if your ideology is a car, eventually you'll run out of gas. Right now, everybody's giving you fuel. You're a hero. You're great. But you will run out of gas because eventually people are going to get tired of, of celebrating you. And you'll be sitting on the side of the road trying to figure out how to move forward in your life. And nobody's applauding you anymore because it was all a fraud. And now we're seeing this retaliation of older adults who were sold the lie and they bought into it. And now there's this whole new culture of, of truly offended people who've mutilated their body, who've ruined their relationships, who's hurt their self forever because they, they believed a lie, a false offense. But this message... It's for people who have a real offense. Because Jesus said there is a real offense. There are people that are truly wounded, sitting in here today, watching online. I'm talking about real deep spiritual wounds. People who were affected, abused even, from even a childhood and still carrying that wound. He goes on in verse 3 in Luke. He starts out, he says, offenses will come. You can't help from it. And he moves to verse 3, and he starts out, he says, pay attention to yourself. Now, I can just see Jesus walking along. He says, guys, I'm going to tell you something. You can't get through this world without being offended. And I don't know if they were talking. I don't know if they were interrupting or if he just didn't feel like he really had them captivated. But he said, hey, pay attention. Pay attention to yourself. If you don't pay attention to yourself, you will wake up 20 years from now and you'll be living in a state of such offense that nobody will want to be around you and you don't know why. You'll be angry and you don't know why you've been so mad for so long. You don't understand why you can't truly love somebody like you see other people love. Why? Why? Pay attention, he said. Pay 
attention to yourself. And interesting, he moves straight in from offense to forgiveness. He's telling us that you're going to be offended. People are going to offend you. They're going to harm you. They're going to insult you. They're going to hurt your feelings for real. You need to pay attention. Take notice of what's going on in your life. And then he moves straight in to forgiveness. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Well, people don't like rebuke. Nobody, nobody likes that. And I'm the first. Now, I'm a little more open to it now. But there was a time in my life where, man, when I get rebuked when I was in my job or, or even rebuked when I had pastors over me, and, and I just wasn't crazy about it. Am I the only one? That's pride. It's called pride. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm, I'll be the only honest one in here. Pride. What do you think you are? Do you know who I am? He says if, if your brother sins, that means, that means somebody in the church, a believer. He's not saying if somebody's lost his last year Easter egg walks in here and, and you see them dressing funky or looking funky and got tattoos all the way across their head and don't even know who Jesus is, keep your mouth shut. Don't say a word. It's not your place. You are not the ambassador for Jesus in that moment. Hush. The Holy Spirit brought them in here for a reason. It's to hear the gospel. And if they want to change, that's between the Lord and them. You can't make them change, but you can run them off and run them straight to hell. I will rebuke that, I promise you, because this is a house for sinners. And if you're perfect, you've got to find another church. This ain't it. This is a house for sinners. He ain't telling us to rebuke the sinner. That's what this message is going to do. It's going to convict them. It's going to get in their ears. It'll convict them. And the Holy Spirit is saying, remember what you were doing last night? That's what he's talking about. You're not supposed to be doing that. Oh, man, I shouldn't be doing that. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be doing that. What do I do? And then at the end of the message, oh, he says, come down. Somebody's going to pray with me. Give your heart to Jesus. Well, I might do that. See how it works. Next thing you know, they're, they're evangelizing in Honduras somewhere. Why? We didn't do nothing. Holy Spirit did. He's talking about rebuking the brothers and the sisters. Patty walks in here with a fifth of whiskey going, Woo! We, we got to say, Patty, maybe put a lid on it. No, don't. <laughs> oh, me. Lord, I apologize. Let's move on. <laughs> He says, pay attention, or you'll get stuck in offense. You'll be the cow on the gate. Pay attention, because we're stuck. A lot of us are stuck and been stuck for years and don't know why we're stuck. The Jewish, religion, Jewish religious leaders of the day would say, if you forgive someone three times, good enough. They've offended you three times. And you forgive them three times. Four times, no. Move on. They got to go. And so that's why they're having this conversation with Jesus when he is telling them to forgive them seven times 70. He says, uh, 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 if he sins against you seven times in a day, turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. In other words, it's infinite. It's not counting seven times 70. Oh, oh, oh that's it. You're out. You've used all your credit. No, it's infinite. You continue to forgive because what happens when you don't forgive, you just open up a door in your own life for the enemy to come in. And some of us haven't forgiven somebody who don't deserve your forgiveness because they hurt you a long time ago and they don't deserve it, but you've opened up a door to your own spirit. And now you're bitter. And now you and your spouse, you can't get along. You, you, you can't figure out why you, you just, you love them, but you can't connect. Why you and your kids just, man, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I don't want them to be hurt, but I, I don't know. I can't love them like I see other moms love their kids or other dads love their, I don't know. Because you've got an open door that is blocking that because you're stuck in a fence. 
Jesus, Michael, you're like this. Jesus says in Matthew 17, 7, 17, he says, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Thus you'll be known by your fruit. So in this illustration, Jesus tells us we're, we're like a tree, a fruit tree. And you'll be known as a fruit tree by what kind of fruit you bear. And he, he says, you're either going to bear good fruit, healthy fruit, or diseased fruit, demonic fruit. Depression, anxiety, anger, resentment, jealousy, bitterness, hate, Suicide, loneliness, isolation, these are all fruit of an offended spirit. You thought it was just you thinking that way, you acting that way. It is a demonic spirit that has come into your house. And all it wants to do is get you off this planet. Because the demon don't care if you're alive or dead. If he can get you to kill yourself, he'll jump over to the next one. Get her to kill herself and get him. The demon's, good. the demon's not going anywhere. You're not killing the demon. He's here for a while. Eventually, he'll face judgment. But he's here for now, and he's a tormentor. And we've got to pay attention, as Jesus says, to the doors that we are opening up. And I get it. People are hateful. They're mean. They treat you terrible. They lie. They steal from you. And we got to forgive that mess. But we got to forgive that mess. Because we got to have healthy fruit. Proverbs 18, 14 says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a rejected spirit, who can bear it? He's saying, man, I can get sick and I'll be fine. I can break a leg and I'll hobble myself to work. Have a disease, whatever it is, I can deal with that. But a wounded spirit, he said, who can bear it? A rejected spirit. Somebody who's constantly browbeating you. Somebody who's told you your whole life you're worthless. Who can bear it? It's awful. What some of us have gone through, it's awful what some of you have lived through, and yet we come in with a smile on our face, shaking hands, drinking coffee with a lid on it, and we're all just happy. Little known, nobody knows inside. There is a pain that we can't share. We don't talk about it. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. But it's not your shame. That's the demon trying to convince you it is your shame. It is not your shame. If somebody has harmed or hurt you, it is their shame. That's between them and the Lord. But you, God says he will set you free. You don't have to walk in shame. This weekend, I had to dig a ditch. Some of you heard of since we bought this house, water likes to come in. And so I, I had to dig this ditch between me and my neighbor. And I worked on it, I, I think Wednesday and Thursday, maybe Friday, I don't remember. And I got down to probably the last 20 or 25 feet, and I hit a root. Not real deep of a ditch, you know. Of course, my neighbor's on this side. I got to smooth his out the whole time, take care of his yard, you know. And I hit this root, and I think, well, I'll come back to the root, but I'm going to move on. And I'm telling you, it wasn't three more feet, and I hit another root, and this time it was a Y. Big around is my wrist. Well, the rain came Friday, I think it was it Friday when the rain came. They got to test out my ditch up to that point. And the ditch worked great until it got to the root. And the water diverted into my yard, just like it had been doing, just a different place now. 
Washing out my yard, just like it's been doing. Getting in my basement, just like it's been doing. All because of a root. And I took my shovel, all this mud and water, I didn't want to get my axe out there and just, you know. So I took my shovel and I tried to splinter it, it's just too much. So I had to leave it for now. But that's our decision to make in our life. If I leave that root, the water keeps diverting. And eventually it'll wash the soil out of my foundation. Eventually it'll weaken the structure of my home. And, and before you know it, a root that's way over here that has nothing to do with my house. It's no, it's pr literally, it's probably from here to that wall to my house. Nowhere near it. And yet that root way over here can destroy my house way over here. At the very least, I'm constantly digging water out of my basement because of that root. And that's the problem with our life because all we're dealing with is the fruit. Ain't that right, Michael? He taught on this last week or the week before. I don't remember. All we're doing is dealing with the fruit in our life, and we think that's the problem. If I suffer from depression and all of a sudden I'm happy, problem solved. But we don't kill the root. And the next time it rains, the next time there's a downpour, the next time she gets mad at you, the next time he yells at you, the next time the bill comes in and says we're shutting her down, Depression comes back because we didn't deal with the root. We didn't kill it. And all those emotions are diverted and they're flooding right back to our house. There was a study in 2003, over 15 cases of school shooters. 13 of them had serious rejection in their life. Rejection. Purdue University found that social rejection activates the same brain regions in physical pain. Now, Isaac, if me and you're over here working on this room, and I snap my arm, and you can see the bone sticking out, and I say, ah, ain't worried about it, it'll be all right. You ain't going to let me keep on working, are you? If you have to drag me, you're going to take me to the hospital. I can't just keep working and thinking it's going to be okay. Eventually, you get infected, they have to cut it off. If you have a pain in your body, you've got to deal with it. But the same thing, when you are rejected, and, and this, is, this is my point, rejection is the root cause of offense. And you don't have to, I, this is not Oprah, and this is not blame your mama, or blame your daddy and, and how they treat it. It's none of that, but it kind of is. Because at some point, especially when you get my age, and, and even some of you older, and you can't figure out, you're just like, well, this is just who I am. But you know, several years back, I took a look back at my own life, and I'm not trying to vomit my past on you. But, you know, my biological dad stopped showing up around five. Lived in the same town. Never saw him again until he died. Didn't see him then. Five years old. Now, not five or six. Now, God brought me the best dad. He passed away. It'd be a year next month. The best dad. I got the lotto when it come to dads. My dad was the best dad in the world. But my biological dad... Just stop showing up. And it never dawned on me until about 10 years ago when I was studying some of this stuff and realizing that there is a deep seat of rejection there that I hadn't dealt with. And so the only reason I'm exposing that to you, I don't need your sympathy, I'm, it don't bother me at all, trust me. What I'm telling you is, what is it in your life that you thought was nothing, that you didn't deal with, that is still affecting you today? 
Because most of the time we can trace it back to some form of rejection. Somebody, some best friend in fifth grade or sixth grade embarrassed you. And all the girls made fun of you. And you hadn't been friend with her since. Rejection. Somebody in freshman, a teacher, freshman, your sophomore year, saw your paper and read part of it out loud, made fun of it, and embarrassed you. My seventh grade teacher did that. I hated civics. I couldn't remember if Kentucky was in Cambodia or just, and I would freak out of the pressure because I didn't know. And so he liked to read some of my answers out loud in front of the class. Rejection. What are you dealing with? What's that one thing they kept saying to you over and over and over again? And it's been 20 years. It's been five years. Maybe it was last night you heard it again. It hurts. And it is a demonic spirit. And if it can't kill you at the very least, it can keep you stuck in such an offense, you'll never be using God's purpose for your life. That's the dream for Satan. Come to church. At least I did my church thing. And, and have this fallacy in your mind that I'm doing all I'm supposed to do when you know good and well God called you to do more. But this, this offense, the worst is church hurt. Because this should be a place that is safe. This should be a place where we can come in and we can confide in one person or another person. This should be a place where we can worship and, and have freedom. Probably everybody in here either has been hurt by somebody in church or knows somebody very close to you that's been hurt by somebody in church. Rejection. It's painful. But there are some good things to say about rejection. In 1 Samuel 16, my goodness, it's hot, ain't it? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, somebody's going to have to figure these things out. We put new thermostats on there, and I ain't smart enough to figure them out. Every time it kicks off, it won't kick back on. It jumps up to 82 degrees. Anyway, so most of us should know this story. This is where Samuel has anointed Saul to be the king, the first king over Israel. And he blows it. He's rebellious against God. He won't do what he's told to do. And so God says, I'm stripping the kingdom away from him. And Saul, or Samuel gets so upset. And he's grieved because he's poured his whole life into Saul. He's mentored Saul. He's trained Saul. I mean, this, the first king of Israel, this is the pinnacle of his ministry. And now God is rejecting his ministry, his, his fruit. Remember, remember his mom? Remember Samuel's mom when Hannah, who was at the, was standing with the priest at the temple and she was praying so belligerently that the, the priest thought she was drunk. She said, I'm not drunk, but I can't have a kid, and I want a kid so bad. If God would just give me a kid, I, 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 would, I would give him to the Lord. And so he prophesied to her, says, this time next year, you will have a child. Sure enough, this time next year, she has a child. And when he gets old enough to be weaned, she gives the child to the church. He becomes an attendant in the temple. Now, in one case, what an honor. But just imagine if you're six years old, you're a pretty good kid, haven't really done a whole lot of wrong, and suddenly your mom says, hey, good news, I'm taking you to the church. 
in Illinois. I'm going to drop you off. I'll see you next year. I'll bring you some cookies. You know the one you like. What are you talking about, drop me off? Yeah, I've, I made a promise. I'd dedicate you to the Lord. Why'd you do that? What'd I do wrong? I mean, can you imagine being a young age? And I'm not sure how old he was. Six, seven. I'm not sure how old he would have been. But that rejection as a child, his mother, he done nothing wrong and she takes him to the church. And yes, it was a good thing, different time than what we live in now. But it still had to sting a bit being left by your mom. And now here he is. He gets to the pinnacle of his life. He spent his whole life serving in this temple. And it all comes down to this one moment anointing this king, and then he, he teaches the king to do all these incredible things, and God says, I'm taking him out. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king? For I've provided for myself another king. This is a message We've got to understand today. Because if you're in a state of rejection from something that's happened, God says, I've got something better. Stop grieving. Yes, you went through it. I know that it hurts, but I've got something better. I didn't want you to stay back there. I mean, how many of us can say we're glad we didn't marry that one? Remember the one? That crazy girl? The crazy one? Huh. <sighs> Some of you women in here, aren't you glad you finally said, you got to go? Take your Harley, take your leather jacket, your long hair. You look awesome, but you got to go. Aren't you glad? Because God said, I got somebody better. I've got something better for you. I've got something more for your ministry. I didn't want you doing this over here because I've got something bigger for you over here. And you've gone through the tests and the trials, and you've persevered and you've made it. Now stop grieving. Pick yourself up and walk into the new anointing that I have. That's what he's telling him here. David says in Psalm 119, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I was rejected. I might learn your ways. I might learn your statutes. And that's what Jesus is telling these disciples. You're going to be offended. Pay attention. Don't get stuck because there is something so much greater in store for you. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good according to His purpose. So that means... When somebody hurts you and you were little, God will take that thing, all things, and he'll turn it around for good. No matter what you're going through, what you're suffering, what you're dealing with, if you love the Lord or if you can finally choose to just fall in love with Jesus, he said he'll take whatever you're going through right now and he'll turn it for good. And you'll wake up a year from now going, I cannot believe this is incredible. Look what God has done. He'll turn it around for your good, but it begins with those who love the Lord. There's always a caveat with God, isn't it? He just wants people to love him. For those who love the Lord, for those who will sell out to Jesus, for those who will commit and say, that's it, I'm done with yesterday, I'm giving my all to this, God will take your situation and he will turn it around for good according to his purpose. Goes on in Romans, in Romans 5, he says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, not only that, but we rejoice in the sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. I hate suffering, but I can honestly say, man, it has made me stronger. It has made me face trials head on. 
I don't get afraid of, of suffering. I'm not afraid of trials. I'm not afraid of something tragic comes my way. I can face it head on because it's built endurance in my life. Mark 11. See, we're still good. I'm almost done. It's 21 minutes to 12. I'm going to slow down. Mark 11, Jesus, you guys know the story. He comes upon the fig tree. And he goes to get fruit. And it's got the leaves, but there's no fruit on it. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. And we don't understand that. Why would he do that? They come back the next day, and it's withered from the roots up. And he's demonstrating to these disciples that, that this tree is a lie. This tree has presented itself with leaves. But it has no fruit. It's a fraud. It's trying to tell us, I have something good for you. Come over this way. But it's a lie. And they could go trim the tree up, and you know maybe next season it would produce fruit, but it was probably a diseased tree. So Jesus curses it from the root. Because if he doesn't curse it from the root, it's going to grow back, and next season somebody else is going to go to that same tree. And there's not going to be any figs there. In verse 23, right after that same story, he says, Truly I say, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, the mountain, root and all, whoever has the kind of faith to look at the mountain in their life and say, go and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says, it will come to pass. It will be done for you. So what is our answer? Because if we're stuck in rejection, if we're stuck in offense, it's tough to generate the kind of faith necessary to command a mountain to move. So we've got to go back to the beginning. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I don't want to gloss over that. I want to let that sink in. For those who have given their heart to the Lord, whose Jesus Christ is their Lord, you have said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm a wretched sinner. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on a cross and rose again the third day, and you are alive again today. I make you my Lord and Savior. The Bible says those that confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. That's who we're talking about here. Anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Think about what you're stuck in. Think about what you're hurt in. Think about all that, non man, I remember the nonsense of some of the stuff I did, and it's embarrassing. It was embarrassing back then. But that's not even me. I'm a new creation. He's created a, a whole new person, or his words a lie. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let me tell you something. If you're in here, if you're watching online and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, you can't escape yesterday. And I'm sorry. And I know that sounds depressing and it sounds hurtful, hurtful and it sounds mean, but you can't because you can't change who you are. You will be who you are until you are reborn. Only through Jesus Christ can you be born again. And when you're born again, then the old has passed away. That one that hurt you, that you thought you'd never get over, 
You'd be shocked at how many people are in here or watching online that have been grossly violated. But they're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And they're surviving today and thriving today because they're a new creation. They are not who they were yesterday. John 15. I love this verse. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Isn't that great? You, you think you chose me? No, no. You think you just wandered in here? I don't know how many times we've heard people say, I don't know, I was just driving down the road, and I saw the sign, I thought I'd come in. I saw it online, I thought, well, let's go see what that's about. <laughs> My brother's second cousin was in the yard mowing, told the neighbor, well, the neighbor's aunt's niece come and told me. I thought, well, let's go see what that is. No, that was all an orchestrated effort to get your sinful hind in in this building. <laughs> he chose you. And yet, when we live and we're stuck in offense, we think we're not worth anything. We're not worth being chosen. And yet, the very fact that you're in church this morning says that he has chosen you. You have been selected. You are precious. Woo! I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he will give it to you. Wow. Man. It's incredible to me to think that, that one day I was on my way to the ER in Nashville, convulsing, was told a couple days later I'd be dead. I wasn't coming out of this hospital. And on the way, in my arrogance, I chose God. Don't you think he sits back sometimes and laughs at us? You chose me. I took clay and formed it together and ruach into that clay, the breath of life. And that life came up. And from that life, I took a rib. And I took and put a help meet together. And I took male and female and separated them into male and female. God said, I did that. And spiritually, when you come together, you're one again. And you chose me. You don't have the capacity to choose God. No one comes to the Father except that he is drawn to the Father by the Holy Spirit. And to me, that's not a scary thing. Well, if he didn't call me, it's an incredible thing to know that he loves us so much that he did call us. Many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, but, but most of them are out fishing this morning or camping. Are sitting on a beach. And that's okay once or twice a year. Or going down a water slide. That right hand or something. Not sitting on a beach. <laughs> Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. That's you. He didn't just deliver me. He wants to deliver all of us from all of our fears. Every single one of us in here have a fear in our life. And sometimes it, it is. It's, it's from that memory. I tell my kids, that's my oldest boy sitting right there. And every time we talk, I tell him I love him. Because far be it, he'll never ever say, my dad never told me that he loved me, he didn't love me, or didn't say it to me, or he abandoned me, or he rejected me. My youngest is right over there, one here and one in another state. And every single one of them, I don't care what situation they may be in, how far one of them is from God, 
They know dad loves them. It is a love from my heart, but can I just be real? There's a kind of a fear. Because I went through something. But he delivers us from that. And that's freedom. Man. I want to I want to ask you all to stand with me. <clears throat> and this is what I want to do today. <clears throat> now, we still got 10 minutes, according to my watch. And my, according to my clock, my watch is one of those you got to move for it to keep time. And it's been sitting on the counter for a week, so it says it's too... If it's 240, I apologize. <laughs> so this is what I want to do. I want us to pray together. Now I want to tell you something. This prayer that we're going to pray is a prayer for believers. Now, I want everybody to say it, please. Feel free to say it. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, it's okay that you say it. That's fine. But this is a prayer of deliverance. The promises to those that have given their heart to the Lord, those that love God. And again, I want to ask you, please, let's, Try to, try to keep a good atmosphere, a, a solemn atmosphere, because you may not be dealing with something. Maybe you've been delivered of so much, you've got nothing but the joy of the Lord in your heart. Hallelujah, praise God. I'm going to rub your shoulder before we leave. I want some of the joy. But there's some people in here, and there's some people that will watch this this week, and they don't have the joy of the Lord in they're thinking they never will have again. And I'm telling you right now, that is the terrible, worst lie the enemy could ever trick you with, is that you'll never have the joy of the Lord. It is a lie. So, if you've not given your heart to the Lord, Amy, would you come up here? I feel the Spirit of God. True. Before we pray this, I'm going to ask you. If you're in here and you've never given your heart to the Lord, I want you to come down here and talk with Amy. It's the most simple yet greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. For the rest of us, just spend a moment. Father, oh, we love you so much this morning. We praise you, Father God. God, if anyone in here does not know you, I just pray, God, that today they would choose you. And God, if someone has given their heart to you, but Father God, they've drifted and they know they're off track and they're out of your will, let this be the day that they choose to come back. God, you told us it's as simple as, God, forgive me. We confess, Father God. We confess our love for you. We confess our sins to you. And we thank you. We thank you that, Jesus, you stepped out of eternity into time and you gave your life so that we could live thank you Jesus thank you Jesus when we pray this prayer I'm going to 
the second line is going to say, Lord, I repent of. And when I say, Lord, I repent of, and you say, Lord, I repent of, that is your opportunity to share with the Lord what it is you repent of. I want to make sure you understand the difference in asking God for forgiveness and repentance because asking God to forgive you is a sin, is a wrong that you've been involved in and you want God to forgive you. Repentance means that you hate, you loathe what you've been doing, how you've treated someone. Repentance is saying, I'm going to change my mind and live differently. I'm going to treat her better. I'm going to be nicer to him. I'm going to step into the calling you've called me to step into. I'm going to forgive those that I've refused to forgive. So I want you to understand that's two different things. Pray this with me. Father, I can't. Father, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Lord, I repent. I repent of offending others. I repent of unforgiveness. Lord, I repent of pride. I repent of laziness. I repent of jealousy. I repent of bitterness. I repent of gossip. I repent of perversion. I repent of drinking alcohol or taking drugs. I repent of going against your will. I repent of not stepping into the calling. Whatever your repentance is, let's move on. I ask you to release me from every bondage in Jesus' name. I take authority over every evil spirit and command it to go out of me in Jesus' name. In every place that evil spirits have left me, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a born-again believer and you prayed that prayer and you believe it in your heart, the enemy has no right or authority within you or your family any longer. Here's what you have to do. You have to walk that authority out. Remember when we said repentance. That means when you go out of here and you get in the car, you don't say, now, back to that argument we were on the way here. No, you repented. We're done with that argument. Don't step back into the thing you repented of. Honey, you got that wine? Let's get that wine tonight. There's no school this week. I, let's, you know. Don't do that. Don't drink wine. Don't drink. Don't, don't drink. What good is it? Now, I can't show you in the Scriptures where it says don't drink. I can show you in the Scriptures where it says not to get intoxicated. What does that mean? To you, how do you know when you're intoxicated? Doesn't say don't get stumbling and fall over. Don't allow your mind to be skewed any at all. You may think it's four beers. It could be a half a glass. You don't know. At the least, it hurts your witness. When somebody else, I got to go to church, and they're a raging alcoholic, and they know you come to church, and they see you drinking Maybe the only beer you've had all year, but you've drank it over the ribs and Applebee's. I'm going to drink a beer today. You've just killed your witness, and you've said, well, if they're drinking, I ain't going to church. I'm trying to quit drinking. It serves no good purpose in your life. Now, that's the gospel according to Mike Marks, and I'll shut up. Saints of God, we've got to learn to walk in our authority. Not just me. Not just you, but you've got to walk in authority for your children. For this culture of offense that we're living in. 
and take a stand. Don't come into agreement with it. You're hurting the person that you're coming into agreement with if they're against the will of God. Thanks for watching today's broadcast. If you were encouraged today or made a decision for Christ, let us know by visiting our website. And yet, when we live and we're stuck in offense, we think we're not worth anything. We're not worth being chosen. And yet, the very fact that you're in church this morning says that He has chosen you. You have been selected. You are precious. Woo!